Let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, my prayer is that you be with us now. That these words honour you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for the opportunity of talking to you today. I would like to tell you um, and share with you just a, a short something about my own experiences a few months ago. Retracing memories, crossing an old bridge that I used to work near. I found myself in London, the other London, not Ontario, in late September. And whilst I was there, I took the opportunity to walk down memory lane to visit a few old mates, buddies, um, Melody, and to catch up um, with people that I hadn't seen for some time. It had been a while. Frank Tremaine and I first hung out together at school 40 years ago, I guess. Our lives then crisscrossed each other for another 25 years with the things we were doing, but we hadn't really caught up since 2004, when Frank almost died in Riyadh. He was doing some work at the time with the BBC, and he was shot six times. Frank is now in a wheelchair. He still works, actually, for the BBC. It hit Amanda, his wife, and their two kids hard. It hit us all, and it hit me hard. I was working at the time, the Middle East and Africa desk, and I was in Washington, D.C. when I received the news. I remember it very clearly, actually. As I look back, in many ways, it was a contributing factor to my move to Canada some six months later. I joined the Army when I was 17. I was then 41, and I needed to change. In many ways, I kind of wanted to see my kids grow up. My wife had left the army a few years earlier. I thought I'd do the same. I'd been lucky, if I use a kind of common expression, I thought, in the work I was doing. I had no sudden epiphany of conscience. There was kind of no Yoda within me telling me to refute the Constantinian shift that I now saw Frank Tremaine and I caught up in, nor to abandon the sad but necessary violence of self-protection. I didn't feel like I needed to join a non-resistant community. There was no deep concern of things past I'd been in the midst of, for I'd learned firsthand that sometimes some things need to be done to protect the innocent. I just needed a break. It had been a long time. And after catching up, I walked across that old bridge away from old memories and old friends. As I crossed Vauxhall Bridge, turning right into Victoria Gardens, I then walked across Riverview Gardens, past Millbank, into Victoria Gardens, keeping the River Thames to my right, then past Westminster Abbey, that old statue of Oliver Cromwell, onward by foot, I passed Horse Guards, and then the monument to William Tyndale. Then up Craven Street, across the Strand, and finding myself in the middle of two huge lions, I was passing swiftly through Trafalgar Square. Canadian High Commission to the left, the South African Embassy to the right. My pace picked up, and then it stopped. A large red sign in front of me read these words, Rebel Women, caught my attention. I was standing outside of the National Portrait Gallery, almost at my destination, Covent Garden, but I could go no further. Instead, I changed course, and as it turned out, so also my view of rebellious women. 
who, whilst I'd always admired, I must admit, I'd been suspicious of. And I went into the exhibition. As I walked around each of the floors, looking at the portraits of women, sandwiched between portraits and bronzed heads of the many men throughout the gallery, something was coming together for me. And whilst I didn't really recognise any of the women, to be honest, although I knew the men well enough, it was these fairly anonymous women, hitherto camouflaged and concealed to me by both the drapery of our society and the paucity of our news, that spoke to me in a boisterous and a thunderous way. I had over the years been led, I guess, to believe that rebels were nonconformists who rose up, who opposed government and those in charge, unable to accept wise judgment over them, nor fit into the acceptable pattern of a workable society, armed militants even at an extreme. But now, as I read the stories and the lives of these women, such as Mary Reynolds, Gardner and eco-warrior, Jenny Wise Power, a come-from-nothing Irish politician, and many more, as my eyes began to be opened. Then there were stories of acts done by many forgotten women whose names have never been recorded, though those acts live on. For rebellion was now being couched for me in a new format, struggling, as Christine mentioned, with personal adversity against the odds and the refusal to accept common practice were introduced to me alongside those who rejected tradition and the constraints it sadly placed upon them. But these weren't always politically motivated women, nor those who were determined to break glass ceilings. They were not trying to usher in Rochambeau's kingdom of God, nor a new social order that was to prevail with a supra-personal evil all eradicated. Now, these were ordinary people who just had a desperate need. They wanted to break out of the mould, and by doing so, helped many since. No great plans, no agendas, friends. They just needed help. The narrative which was read to us earlier from St Mark's Gospel pictures to me another rebel, a prototype, really, of those to come. The story here in Mark 5, sandwiched between the amazing bringing to life of Jairus' daughter after those Gadarenes had rejected Christ, crossing, causing him to really cross over the water. You know, it's interesting, I've always thought that a rejected gospel will always be caused to cross the water. And where some reject Christ, as a result, others will receive him. But this story here was kind of sandwiched for me between these amazing events. But in some ways it was a greater story. Unlike that of Jairus, named after that judge of 20 years in the Old Testament, the woman here is not known, nor named. She does not have power, nor wealth. There is nobody here to help her, as far as we can tell from the text. And the story, friends, is a desperate one. It's one of a terribly ill woman who needed help but found none. She found none. Her condition, in many ways, was an embarrassment to her and to others. And she was seen under the Old Testament laws as being both unclean and unapproachable. Let's just think about that for a moment. 
What does it mean to be unapproachable? It's enough really to bring us to tears. We learn from the text that this woman had suffered a flow of blood for 12 years. That in itself was to her a curse under those miserable Jewish laws at the time. No doubt she had been weakened. Any comfort of life had left her. I suppose she could have no children in whom the future hope of care and parental love could flourish. I suppose she had no husband to embrace her in the wonderful passion of marriage, nor to be able to pour out herself in the amorous affection of another. Probably the very spectre of death itself was the next port of call. This woman, we read, had suffered many things at the hands of many physicians. As long, in fact, as she had anything worth them having, they'd kept her in the hope of being cured. One cannot imagine the stress, the pain that she'd endured, not just from her condition, but at the hands of those who had taken everything she had and given nothing in return. She suffered both in body and in her very soul, for she'd moved to the point of giving up on life. It was almost as if Hades itself had reached forward through that thin veil that separates this world from the next and with its darkened fingers had grasped her soul and taken from her all hope. You know, friends, it's not uncommon for those who have exhausted every other avenue and opportunity, who have lost all hope to seek our Lord Jesus Christ at the last and he is still able to be found a refuge, even to those of us who make him our last refuge. He can be a refuge for every one of us here. If we have need, he can be our refuge. He's ever ready to hear those needs and respond to our calls. So we see the situation unfolding, really. As I read this passage time and time again, it was as if I was there myself. A huge crowd bustling around this man Jesus, shouting, calling out for attention, surrounding him and getting in his way. People trying to catch his eye by placing themselves in front of him, crying out to him their many needs. And here in the background, amongst the thronging multitudes, we read quietly, she came behind him in the crowd, neither crying out, as others, her needs, I guess her case required some modesty, were getting in the way. She sought only a private cure. Nothing public from which to boast or claim as an honour. But she was no longer prepared to stand the trials of tradition, nor subject herself to those Levitical laws that condemned her and those who touched her as unclean. She had become a rebel not out of want but out of sad and cruel necessity her whole being now was breaking out under the power of faith in the presence of the Lord himself one rebel in the presence of another for grace now flowed over the law and those things which were mired and corrupted broken and wasted now became purged and cleansed 
And in her mind, new words were forming as the very expression of her essence and needs. If I could only touch his clothes, just touch. And they were well matched, one with the need, the other with the remedy. Two rebels breaking through the expectation of a heartless society in the substance of faith. She was all in with nothing to lose. You know, I first realized the seriousness of the expression all in in a casino in Marrakesh in a former life when I would see the faces and the desperate eyes of those gamblers as they threw everything on the tables. It was the same desperate look, actually, as she stretched forward with the remaining energy she had and this kind of soul-consuming thought in her mind now totally focused. If she could just touch his clothes, she would be well. Rebels seek that which is better. They struggle towards a cure. She didn't want a meeting. She didn't need Jairus or those other consistory synagogue leaders. The physicians were spent as was her money. Neither had garnered her the slightest hope, nor was there anything else, no one else, nor any other way other than Jesus. All she desired was to come close to him because she sensed his power. Even Paro, that old enemy itself, death. Just touch him. That was enough. Let me tell you something. I first heard Matthew Passion by Bach when I was a kid. Our organist, and I'm very grateful to him, will play us a few of the choruses later. And part of that passion spoke to me. It has these simple words. Recognize me, my shepherd. But in the German, as it was written by Bach, Er keine mich mein Hutter. There was a far greater meaning. It is, seize me. Seize me, my guardian. And that's what she needed. She needed to be grasped and safely held by her guardian. Who is the guardian of all those who call upon his name and confess him? Lord of lords and king of kings. Jesus himself. Then Jesus, stopping and sensing that grace and mercy had flowed from him, you can kind of now sense the atmosphere. First the disciples stop, then the crowd around him. He asked the disciples, who touched me? Have you ever been in a bustling Middle Eastern marketplace? I have. People up against you, pressing and pushing. You can feel their breath in your face. They're right in your bubble. And with this kind of sense of exasperated mockery, the disciples say, are you kidding? Who knows who's touched? Everyone's touching you. Who can tell? Sometimes we think in the midst of all the noise surrounding us, the kind of constant deluge of voices in the press of social media, Facebook, Snapchat, InstaTwit, and all the other stuff, <laughs> that were drowned out. That were drowned out. Our needs are unheard. Not so, not so. For our Lord, once touched, turned. 
And with the eye of one who knows his sheep, spoke these lovely, very comfortable words to her. Daughter, that's that kind of loving fatherly statement. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. I mean, amazing words for her. Do you need to be heard? Have you a need? A private need? Do you feel an outcast? Or even rejected by those around you? Are you like me? Needy? Of words of comfort and love sometimes? Perhaps, like me, you seek a world that offers something better. Perhaps, like me, you're a spiritual pilgrim. And like that woman, you are a rebel needing to be heard. Then come to Jesus. Reach out and touch him. This Sunday we Christians call Advent Sunday. It speaks of the coming of Christ to us at Christmas. My prayer today is that you may also experience, like that rebel woman, his Advent in your life. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.